All right, good morning, and welcome to Village Green Community Church. And uh, here we are in our closing message of this two-part series that we're talking about heaven. And if you were here last week, we opened up talking about, you know, the reality of heaven. That, uh, you know, in our culture, there's a lot of questions about heaven. And in fact, there's a lot of people that doubt even the existence of heaven. Even, even beyond that, they doubt even the existence of anything beyond death. And, you know, it might sound a little morbid, you know, us talking about this particular topic, but the Bible has a lot to say about this place called heaven that, um, you know, is, is a place that's real. It is a place that we can look forward to. It is a place that is um, home to those who have faith in God, faith in Jesus Christ. So as we close out this series, I, I want to remind us about a, you know, a, a couple of points that came from last week. We said that last week how we understand eternity you know, shapes how we live today. And that's not to, to have that statement out there to say that we can just you know, be unmotivated in our lives today in, in, or, or just think you know, we can just get by and do nothing and wait for heaven that's not the intent of that particular statement. The intent of that particular statement is to say, you know, that we have so much to look forward to, but at the same time, we have so much to live for now. So much that motivates us, that, that gives us a hope, so much that can shape the way that we view our reality right now, that the difficulties of today, as we saw a passage last week from the Apostle Paul, said that the difficulties of, of today are small in comparison to what we have promised for us in the future. So that, that shapes so many of the difficulties. It shapes those moments of grief when we've lost someone that we, that we care about. And it shapes them in a way that we know that that's not the end of it all. A day will come where we will be together again. And, and a lot of those other kinds of things that, that give us hope beyond our present situation in our present circumstance. Um, the Apostle Paul, you know, just as, as a reminder, you know, again, this is part of a passage that we looked at this last week. He said in, in, in Corinthians, he said, for we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, and notice the, the way that he, he talks in, in that terminology about a tent that is taken down. That is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house or a home in heaven, an eternal body um, made for us by God himself and not by human hands. So there's divine involvement in this. And, you know, one of the first points I want to make is, as we get into this message and, 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 you know, kind of alluded to it last week, but I want to state it really clear as one of the points this week, is that our physical bodies die. But the soul endures. Um, you know, it, it, what, when I sort of put this point into the life group material and I was, you know, put it into the message, I was, I was reminded of Lord of the Rings. Any of you uh, Lord of the Rings fans? And, you know, Sauron, right? Uh, Sauron reappears. Okay. And uh, remember at, at the beginning, everybody, well, how could Sauron reappear? Uh, we thought he was dead. And, and, you know, everybody goes, no, his spirit endured. Okay, there was something more. So that, you know, kind of in a really crude sense, that's, that's kind of what's communicated in Scripture. There's a whole bunch of passages, you know, and, and in your life group material, if you have your life group material, you're going to see a whole bunch of passages that, that allude to that truth. 
that you know it's it's this earthly tent that Paul talks about that is taken down but the soul continues the soul endures the soul is is and and we're going to talk a little bit about you know how does the soul relate to the physical body that Paul talks about later and there's some Christian theology that we're going to get into a little bit later but remember you know a story about Jesus in John 11 and it's the raising of Lazarus and Jesus is talking to Martha and and to Mary actually but he said he he states something directly to Martha that was really powerful as well in, in John eleven twenty five, Jesus said to her I am the resurrection and the life anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Amazing, right? That, that for Jesus, you know, death was a portal. You know, it was, it was, it was something, something else. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. You notice that, that, that double in Greek, never, ever die. And he says, to, he asks the question to Martha, Martha, do you believe this? And uh, of course, you know, she responds in, in the positive. So, you know, um, even in the life of Jesus, he communicated this reality of something more after death, even though many people in culture are talking about annihilation, there's really nothing, you know, and, and we just live this life to the fullest. And, uh, you know, that's kind of like the, the major theme in many, many people's lives, but it's certainly not a biblical picture at all. Now, uh, I've, I've already gotten questions about, you know, when we die, do we go to be with Jesus right away? Let me take you to another passage in 2 Corinthians 5, 6. And here's what the Apostle Paul says, and we'll unpack this a little bit. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. So, so Paul, granted, is talking to believers, to people who have made faith and, and placed faith in Christ. For we live by believing and not seeing. Yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. So that's, you know, that's the main priority for, for Paul, you know. But he said, you know, away um, from the body is to be present with the Lord. And, and that's a passage that many, many people quote. And the majority of scripture, you know, I'm, I'm not going to read the rest of the passage. You, you can read it on your own. But the majority of scripture, when we ask this question about what happens after we die, you know, as believers, what happens? Do, do we go to be with Jesus right away? Or is there something else that happens? Is there a purgatory? You know, all that kind of stuff. But the majority of scripture points to this reality that, you know, that we are present with the Lord the moment we die. You know, um, there's a number of passages have, have Luke 23, 1 Corinthians uh, 15 talks about that, Philippians 1, 23, John 5. There's a number of passages that point in that particular direction. Now, classic Christian theology, when, when you know, looking at this question in, in, in detail, has always said that, you know, in this present reality that, you know, when, when we die, we become disembodied souls, okay? 
And we don't get our heavenly bodies that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5 and other passages. We don't get the eternal bodies and until the consummation of you know, history or the return of Jesus Christ. And that's when all things are consummated, when Jesus Christ returns. And uh, you know, that's, that's kind of like been the, the typical theology of, of you know, Christian, um, Christian scholars for, for centuries on this particular question. Now, some say, you know, is there a soul sleep where, you know, we kind of sleep until the time that Jesus re returns? There's a few passages that kind of allude to that, but they, they can be, you know, um, kind of like understood in different ways. But the majority of scripture talks about the moment you die as a believer, you end up in the presence of Christ. And as disembodied souls, you know, however that looks like, we have no idea. But we're in the presence of, of Jesus. And then when Jesus returns and, you know, history is consummated and the great white throne judgment and the marriage supper of the Lamb, all of those things that we hear and read about in the book of Revelation about the end of days, that is when we are given our eternal heavenly bodies and we live forever and ever and ever and that's the beautiful part of all of the, all of that so i uh, hope that answers the questions but you know even if there is a soul sleep uh, i heard a professor say once even there if there is soul sleep you're not like it's it's gonna you're not even gonna know it's, it's happened, uh, you know, from, from the moment you die to the moment you're raised again to an eternal hope and glory and, and an eternal uh, forever body. You're not going to know that kind of time span, you know, however long it is. So um, that's, that's kind of like the best guess that we have theologically from Christian history. But I want to take us to, you know, kind of like the main passage that we're talking about. And I want to I want to look at Revelation 22, 1 to 5. Now, if you've been reading along with us, you know, last week we looked at Revelation 21. We talked about verses 1 to 7. But verses 21 and 22 are really one whole package. I know we look at them as two separate chapters, but it's sort of like the final consummation, what, what the eternal state is going to look like, the wonder and the beauty of the eternal state, and, um, you know, it gives us a picture of what we can anticipate as we go. And so I just want to read the very first five verses of chapter 22. And if you get time, you should read the entire chapter as we close it out. Because there's a warning at the end of that chapter, too, not to change any of the wording. And, and it's implying the entire book of the Bible, by the way. Do not add or take away. But all of this is... is based on the reality of God and his promises and the hope that we can have as believers. So here's the first five verses of Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month, the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there. And his servants will worship him. 
and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Now those are really you know, fanciful five verses that depict this, this beautiful scene. But, you know, I've got, um, you know, seven, seven points that come out of this particular passage, and I'm gonna go through them really quick. I know seven sounds like a lot, but in these five verses, and in fact, in Revelation 21 and 22, and I'm, I'm gonna even, uh, you know, go into all, all the Old Testament, New Testament prophecies about the eternal state that these five verses actually bring to the forefront, okay? So there's something about heaven that's gonna redefine so much of what we presently understand and presently know, okay? So here's, out of these five verses, here are seven things that heaven redefines. The first thing it does is redefine reality. I, I, I think, um, you know, it's, it's such a different state of being. It's such a different state of reality. And it kind of, it, you know, it, it's kind of obvious that whatever heaven is, it's a totally different reality that we understand right now. And, 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 and I think that's, that's the point. I think, I think it's going to be beyond our comprehension what kind of a reality this is going to be. This is going to be so um, mind-bending and so mind-blowing to experience this. And even though, you know, uh, there is a tendency for many scholars to believe that, you know, we're talking about a recreated earth, very much to what we're similar. I don't know if the continents are gonna be the same, if, you know, if, if the earth itself is gonna be shaped a little differently, but there's a lot of, of scholars that would hold to, to this reality that what we enjoy here right now is gonna be reshaped in a way as how God intended it to be right from the very beginning. You know, if you go back to the creation story, Genesis 1 and 2, which is, you know, the other two chapters of the Bible that talk about a perfect world, okay? Everything was created and God said that it was all good. And it was the reality. And, and, and the reality is Adam and Eve is walking. They're, they're in communion with God, that it's a face-to-face -face walking together, that everything is, is, is working the way it should. There's, there's no animosity. You know, um, it's, a, it's a totally different reality. Sin comes into the world and just kind of distorts everything. Conflict exists and fallenness and brokenness and things that got along and worked together and, and you know, became, you know, became variety, you know, suddenly became enemy. And that's, that's the reality we go back to, to the state that God intended the whole creation to be in the very first place. And in fact, that's kind of like the story of the Bible, you know, starts out in paradise, starts out in this beautiful creation. The fall happens and throughout the Bible, all the way to, you know, Revelation 21 and 22, it's all about the journey from paradise to paradise, all right? So it's a, it's a whole new reality and things are gonna be so brand new. Remember that back in yesterday, like last week's message, Re Revelation 21, God said, I am making all things new, all things new. 
All right. Second, second thing, um, and I think it's an obvious thing, is beauty. Um, this this passage talks about beauty. Notice how it says, uh, "So a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God. It flowed down the center of the main street." And if you, you know, continue in chapter twenty-two, you, you're going to hear about all these beautiful stones, the way that the city is built, all these you know beautiful gems and. And you know the, the the best of everything that this creation has becomes just modeling clay for the city itself. Like the grandeur and the and the beauty and the creativeness of God are going to be in full display. You know, um, I've, I've got an Instagram account that that's one of my favorite accounts. It's it's beautiful destinations. I don't know if you if you have that as an Instagram account, but it's got pictures of all of all these of the most stunning vistas on this planet. And it's absolutely beautiful. And every day they have these pics that are just wonderful. And and and, and every time I see them, it, it, they're kind of like, you know, as amazing as that picture is, it's, it's just a shadow of the beauty that the eternal state is going to demonstrate. And uh, none of the brokenness of this world and and, and how sin has even hampered creation, but it's going to be just beautiful beyond comprehension. And I think that's that's the wonder of heaven. It's like you're going to be able to just look around and see things, and you know you're going to have all these jaw-dropping moments and, and be in awe of the wonder and and the beauty of this place known as heaven. The third thing is restoration. Um, I, I love how, you know, in, in the passage of the latter half of verse 2, it says, On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. Um, and they were used for medicine to heal the nations. Okay. And that's, and, and that's um, you know, uh, you'll remember the, the Genesis story, right? Tree of life was, was part of the you know, the, the creation story, Genesis 1 and 2. And here it is re reappearing again. And there's this restoration that what, what is recognized in heaven is, is the healing that sin has brought into the world. I think healing is a really powerful word that the Bible uses uh, to great, to, to great ex you know, importance that Healing, many times we just think in a physical sense, but there's so much to the concept of healing. And there's this restoration that is brought about of the whole creation. And, and what, what had mired, you know, the, the entire creation is now totally healed, totally made anew. Um, all the brokenness, all the cracks are, are, are mended. It's, it's, it's it's you know I'm it's it's speechless to think of all the things in this life that are broken and to think they're all going to be as if they've never been broken in the first place. It's a it's a total healing. Whatever you know, everything from emotional brokenness to physical brokenness to you know, social brokenness, all of those things are not going to even, even weigh in 
in the eternal state. It's, it's absolute restoration of the very, of everything that's in conflict here on the, on the, on the earth. Uh, perfection too. You know, perfection in, in this in, in on, on this side of heaven is kind of almost almost like a bad word because it's hard to get perfection. And if you're a perfectionist at all, you know what kind of uh, difficulty that that does in your own life and the kind of challenges it brings. And you know, a spirit of perfection is is seen in a very negative light, right? But the fact of the matter is. It's hard to have a spirit of perfection or to be perfect as a sinful human being in a sinful world, in a brokenness of everything that, that's around. And yet, in the eternal state, everything's perfect. You know, um, no longer will there be a curse upon anything, it says. Um, you know, and in and, and fact, you know, this, the restoration thing um, and the perfection thing are kind of tied hand in hand when it comes to the healing of the nations. And, and this and this perfection, and it's like no one will be less than anymore. No one will be seen as you know smaller than or not worthy of. Like all of those labels, all of those terminologies, all of those you know categorical things that we have on this side of heaven just won't exist. Just won't exist. In fact, you know when you talk about perfection. You know, it's like everyone is just going to be servants of the Lord and to worship him. Now, I know uh, for some people, they hear that and immediately, you know, heaven's boring. And we talked about that last week. But heaven's going to be anything but boring, anything but boring. In fact, I'm of the opinion that you're just going to stand wherever you're standing and you're just going to look around. And it's just going to be an awe, such an awe-inspiring, ever-changing landscape that it's, it's never gonna be boring just from that standpoint, let alone all the things you're gonna be able to do. That's, that's, that's the wonder of it all, okay? Next is, uh, you know, what, what, what are we done? We've done four, here's, here's number five, relationship. Absolute relationship. What is, what is significant about the eternal state is that God is gonna be there. The very throne of God is there. And, the, and it says, and God and, and the Lamb will be there and you know and they will see his face or you know if you've studied the bible any amount of time you know to see god's face it just being you know this this impossibility through the old testament new new testament you know moses got to see the face of god right god you know in fact there's there's a time where moses even got to see the backside of god because god wouldn't wouldn't present himself you know saying no you can only see the backside i'll put you in the cleft of the rock absolutely beautiful passage but here but he spent 40 days and and on on mount sinai in the presence of god okay and it came down with his face shining and all of that you know, that, that, you know, few people in this life have had that privilege. And in fact, some of that has even been transferred in the New Testament when we talk about Jesus. And the disciples were awestruck that they got, they, they saw the face of God through Jesus. That Jesus was, you know, the physical presence of Yahweh. And, and they were just awestruck when they came to realize that. And for the eternal state, that's that's what we get to see, you know. If you you know if you're a believer here this morning, you know that um, that's one of the wonders is we get to see Jesus face to face. 
what is that going to be like when the one that we've worshipped our entire lives, committed our lives to, and become followers of, and then finally it's like we get to meet face to face. You know, that's that's an amazing truth. And for Jesus to to speak into your life and to say, you know, um, well done, good and faithful servant. How many of us have have longed to hear that or have have stated that about somebody else, somebody that has gone before? And that's kind of like what we all long to hear is Jesus, you know, open arms, welcoming us into heaven and to say, well done, you know, glad to have you here. Welcome to my home and your home as well. Like the relationship is no longer going to be this distance. It's going to be, you know, prayers are going to be face to face, <laughs> you know, whatever prayer looks like, if, if prayer even really exists at all. Okay. Next, next thing is identity. And, and his name will be written on their foreheads. Now, this is a, this is a really cool part, right? Because this is really answering um, something that happens, I think it's Revelation 13, about the mark of the beast, 666. You, 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 many of you have heard that passage, that the mark of the beast will be put on those uh, people who side with the beast. And here are the mark of Jesus for those people that side with Jesus. Um, and, 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 and by the way, that's, that's the counter to this, right? That's what happens in the book of Revelation. It's those that, that stand with the beast, stand with the Antichrist, you know, uh, and, and those that stand with Jesus and, and stand with the Lamb, okay? Um, now, interestingly enough, you know, um, you know the mark of the, of the beast, 666, um, you have to be really careful. You can't ident identify the mark of the beast in this present day, by the way, if you want to predict, a, use it as a future uh, prediction. Um, you, you can't identify the mark of the beast because it says the mark of the beast is going to be the name of the beast itself uh, or, the, or the Antichrist, right? So if the Antichrist hasn't appeared yet, the Antichrist hasn't been named, the mark of the beast can't exist as of yet. All right, if that's, that's the interpretive scheme. And if you interpret the 666 based on um, you know, a past understanding, then it identifies very clearly with, with the emperors of Rome and you know, the main emperor that it would, it's probably pointing to is Nero. All right, so you know, whether, whether you do a, a, a present day when John wrote the book of Revelation of 666, uh, or you see it as a future prophecy of 666, um, you can't apply, for instance, the vaccine. I've heard some people say the vaccine is a mark of the beast. Well, that's, you know, that's just really bad exegesis. That's really a poor and really bad understanding of the book of Revelation and what 666 actually means. So that's, you know, um, oh, by the way, I'll probably deal with that in, the, in our um, May 31st um, thing when it comes to, uh, you know, giving you the, the church position. So there's a little sneak peek about, uh, you know, uh, what we might uh, at least stress on that particular night. So identity, um, here we are, we're identified as the people of God, but this is a clear identification that we're all, you know, we're not hiding in the shadows anymore. 
Okay, this this we are victorious. We are you know um, people of of glory, and 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 the glory of the Lord is now part of our lives as well and our identity as believers in Jesus Christ. Um, security is the last one. That's that's number seven. There's just incredible security. Notice there will be no night there. No need for lamps, even the sun, for the Lord God will shine on them. Okay? So, you know, there, there's no darkness. It's just, it's just, again, it lends itself to the whole idea of beauty, of restoration, of perfection. But I love this. The security is, and they will reign forever and ever. The security, imagine a decision you've made in this life gives you security forever. That a decision that you make as a believer, that you commit in this life to follow Jesus Christ, gives you all of these things and more with the blessings of eternity. I think that's such a, such a powerful thing to recognize today is that a simple act of faith. I, I think we said last week that, you know, the Bible says is really clear about the reality of heaven and is really clear about how to get there. You know, what, it, what does it take to enter the gates and to experience a redefinition of reality, of beauty, of restoration, of perfection, of relationship, of identity, and even of security. All the things that this life you know, stands as barriers and as inflictors of pain and evil and all that kind of stuff. It's absolutely, absolutely done away with. Now, I want to I want to close with a couple more thoughts. Um, a particular passage that I think um, kind of kind of speaks to the reality of the eternal state. Um, is 1 Corinthians 2, 9. And I love the way that New Living Translation says, the Apostle Paul is, is, of course, writing to the Corinthians. And he says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, I don't know about you, that's, that's, a, that's a, a verse that's worthy to put on your fridge, put on, you know, Put in the shower, you know, every every morning when you get up, and to just you know remember that as every part of your day. That no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. You know, it's almost as if you know Paul almost it's almost as if Paul didn't have the words. He just you know this is just. And there's a number of times where Paul gets into this doxology. He's writing away. He's being inspired by the Spirit of God. And he's got these incredible uh, truths that he's communicating and writing down. And it's just such deep theology and it's such deep truths that he actually stops. There's a number of times. It's, it's, it's a habit of his. If you study the Apostle Paul long enough, it's a habit of his. It's just like he suddenly puts his pen down. And he breaks into this doxology. And this is one of those moments where he just says, wow, what is being revealed is just mind-blowing. And we just can't put it into words because it's so far beyond our comprehension. But it's something we will experience for those who love 
in. So let me close again. Do you believe that how we understand eternity shapes how we live today? I hope that's true for you. I hope you've been blessed these last couple of weeks. I hope you've been inspired. I hope it's prompted you to live more authentically for Jesus Christ. I pray it's it's done for some of you, maybe helped you consider coming to faith in Christ and, and committing your life to him. You know, maybe maybe there's someone out there who just has become so angered by religion, so angered by the church, so angered by the people that, you know, have called themselves Christian, that you have just had enough of even wanting to consider what it might be to believe in God. Can I challenge you today to not look at, you know, the people who have disappointed you or hurt you? Can I just apologize that you've experienced that? But can I just invite you to look at passages like this and the wonder of what God has promised for those who have opened up their heart to the Spirit of God and said, you know, God, I believe you exist. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die. I believe that I need your forgiveness. I believe that, you know, I am who you say I am. Not only am I a sinner, but when I make place faith in your son Jesus, I become an adopted son, an adopted daughter, an adopted heir of all the promises you have expressed through your word. Lord, help me to live my life in a way that reflects the authenticity of what you have said in the scriptures. Make me Christ-like. Don't make me a follower of some human being who, you know, um, is flawed and weak. Allow me to be first and foremost a person who commits to your authority each and every day, to your love, and may I express that love to other people in a way that draws people in to the person of Jesus as it's always been intended to be. So can I challenge each and every one of you today to live in light of what we've learned these last couple of weeks so that heaven can be that reality on earth as Jesus prayed in Matthew. Lord, may it be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what a difference would it make if the church lived in such a way that heaven did come down on earth. Amen. Well, I pray you've been blessed by this series. I know I have. Thank you for being a part of it. We start a new series next week on prayer, hoping to be a part of it, and looking forward to seeing you next Sunday here at Village Green Community Church. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for this series. Uh, again, just pray that it's blessed to someone and really touched their heart and reminded them of you know, the wonder of the eternal life that you have promised for those who have placed faith in you. 
May that faith be energized today. And may that faith be, be initiated in others who have come and heard and have felt the tug of the Spirit in their lives and have openly given their heart to Jesus today. So Lord, thank you for all that you're doing in the life of Village Green as we commit and continue to serve you faithfully as you continue to demonstrate your faithfulness to us. And Lord, we're looking forward to next week when we talk about prayer that matters. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.